Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry, your home for all hot takes news and other things evolving around the racing world. In today's episode, we're going to have a little bit of fun at the beginning, giving you guys eight drivers I still believe can win to make it into the playoffs. We'll be talking about what is considered going too far in terms of retaliation, and we'll end it off with our best bets of the week. So with that, let's get started by talking, by having some fun to begin the episode. So... As we know, Tyler Reddick won last week at Road America, which gave us 13 winners with only three spots remaining with eight races to go in the NASCAR Cup Series, you know, road to the playoffs. So with that, like I said, I want to have a little bit of fun to start off, and I want to give you guys who, in my opinion, are the seven or eight, seven to eight drivers that most likely can still win to get into the playoffs. These are eight guys that I feel like can go out and win one of the next eight races and just completely lock, either lock themselves in or just completely shake up the playoff picture entirely. I'll give you guys my reasons for thinking why they can win, and I'll give you guys the places where I think they can win moving forward. So with that, let's get started by talking about the first driver on my list, and that is Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney, he's currently second in, in the standings, I believe 33 points behind points leader Chase Elliott. And... Really, the number one thing about Blaney is he just feels like a driver that it's about time that he's won. You know, Ford hasn't really been the best manufacturer this season. They've been lagging behind Chevy and Toyota. But still, Blaney has been one of the most consistent drivers all year. He's in, still in the contention to win the regular season championship. He was very fast early in the season, especially because we have tracks like New Hampshire coming up which are very similar to tracks like Richmond and Phoenix. And Richmond, he was definitely fast at this year. First time you could probably say that in his entire career he was fast at Richmond, or at least competent at Richmond. But Ryan Blaney, he feels like it's about time for him to finally get a win this season. You know, considering we already are 18 races into the season, he's a top five driver this year, and it feels like it's about time for him to notch a win. Now, what are some places I think Ryan Blaney can win, can win before the season ends? I got a couple in mind. The first one is I think he can win this weekend at Atlanta. Blaney has always been a fantastic super speedway racer. He has a couple wins at Daytona. No, not Daytona. He has a couple wins at Talladega. Always up front of the super speedways. I could see him winning at Atlanta this coming weekend. Another place I could see him winning at is New Hampshire. Because Ford, or at least Blaney himself, they seem to got the flat mile, the flat one-mile tracks down packed. He was fast at Richmond. I believe he led the most laps and finished fourth. He definitely led the, he led the most laps at Phoenix. I believe he finished top five or top ten. So, a track like New Hampshire, which is very similar to a track like Phoenix and Richmond in terms of what you can compare it to, and Blaine was also fast at Gateway, might I add, as well. But on just with the nature of the tracks that he's best at this year, I think that New Hampshire, he has a great shot at nabbing a win there. Another place I think he can have a win at is Michigan. It's also a flat track, and he won this race last year. Granted, it was a completely different aero package, completely different car, but if what they're saying is true and Richmond is going to race like a super speedway, very similar to how Richmond raced last year, I think Blaney will be up front to contend once again. And the last one I'm going to put on this list is Daytona. Why am I putting Daytona? Because, again, it's another super speedway. Now, I was contemplating on putting Richmond on the list that Blaney can win at. The problem is I've, I've needed consistent, I need to see Blaney consistently be good at Richmond. I can't buy one race where he's good at Richmond when he's been bad at Richmond for his entire previous like half decade in the Cup Series. 
I can't buy that he's going to contend to win a Richmond off of one race. Whereas the entire season, I've seen him be good at this flat track, so that's why I put him at a track like New Hampshire. And I've seen him be good at super speed racing, so that's why I put Atlanta, Daytona, and even I threw Michigan in, where, in there as well. So, Ryan Blaney is my first driver. My second driver I'm going to pick is Martin Truex Jr. Truex, probably the second driver after Blaney that finally should have a win this year. He has the speed. Toyota finally looks like they're having the speed, especially at intermediate tracks. We don't really have any intermediate tracks left on the schedule, maybe besides Michigan, but we don't even know how Michigan is going to race. But Toyota has speed, it feels like, everywhere they go, minus the road courses, which is kind of odd for Toyota standards. So, with that being said, and especially because the monkey's finally off Truex's back, he finally announced that he's coming back next year, he doesn't have to worry, he doesn't indeed have this, that decision in the back of his mind anymore. I think Truex is going to be more clear and more focused and set his sights on finally nabbing a win this season. Now, what are some places I could see Truex winning at this year? He's been good at the super speedways this year. So I'm putting Atlanta Daytona on the list. I'm putting, same thing, Loudon and Richmond on the list because Toyota is always fast at these flat one-milers. And again, Truex, he has a win at Loudon. He's won multiple times at Richmond. I think that these are places that Mark Truex Jr. can lock himself into the playoffs. I didn't put the road courses like Watkins Glen because this year Truex has been abysmal at road courses, which is uncharacteristic for Mark Truex Jr. considering he used to be almost on par with Chase Elliott when it came to road courses, or at least he was... A, at least barely one tier below. So, I can't put him in the road course because he's been so bad this year at them, but these other tracks I mentioned, I think Truex is a great shot at winning. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up winning one of these races. The third driver I'm going to put on the list is Christopher Bell. And same reason with Mark Truex Jr., he's got Toyota. Toyota has the speed. He's maybe not as fast as someone like Truex, Hamlin, or Kyle Busch, but he is up there. And he qualifies really well. I believe there was a stretch in the season where he won three poles in a row. So, Bell can start up front. The question is, can he stay up front? And ever since his disastrous start to the season, he's worked his way back inside the top ten of points. I think Bell, he has a great shot at winning a race before the playoffs begin. What are some places he can I can see him winning? Honestly, unlike the other two I mentioned, there really is only one place I can see Bell just go out and straight up win. And that is New Hampshire Loudon. Why? Because Loudon is Christopher Bell's all-time best track. I believe he won every time he raced there in the truck series, he always won. He has yet to lose an Xfinity Series race he has entered at, at Loudon. Every time he raced at Loudon in the Xfinity Series, he has won. And even when it came, comes to the Cup Series, he has yet to finish outside the top five. He finished, I believe, third or fifth in 2020 in his rookie year in that Levine family racing number 95. And he finished runner-up last year and probably would have caught up to Eric Amarola have they not called the race due to darkness? So, while the list of places I see Christopher Bell winning is a lot smaller than the likes of Blaney and Truex, I have way more confidence, I will say, in Christopher Bell winning New Hampshire than Ryan Blaney or Mark Truex Jr. winning any of the next any of the races I've mentioned to them on the list so far. My fourth driver on the list is going to be Kevin Harvick. Now, Harvick is a very strange driver this year, in my opinion. Right now, he's currently on the outside looking in. He is minus 20 below the cut line. However, for the past few weeks, minus, minus I believe it was not Road America, I believe it was Nashville, he's been looking very strong. It was either, Na no, it was Nashville. He's been looking very strong. For about three to four weeks now, he has shown consistent top 10 to even top 5 speed. Had cards falling the right way, Sonoma Harvick could have been the one in victory lane. 
and that's the first time we've really been able to say that Harvick has a shot at winning a race since the Bristol Night Race last year. It's been a long time coming for Harvick, especially because he hasn't won since the start of the decade, might I add. So, Harvick looking strong as of late. I do believe that if he continues this pace that he's been picking up as of late, he has a great shot at winning. Now, what are some places I can see him winning at? Even though he has started to show consistent top 10 and top 5 speed as of late, I can't confidently say that he's going to win anywhere besides a super speedway. And he's still very good at super speedway races. In fact, when it comes to just all-out betting, I think Harvick is one of the best dark horse bets to place. Don't be surprised if you see him on my best bets of the week some, somewhere in the later segment. However, until I could see him running up front with the leaders and have, actually having a shot to win like he did at Sonoma on a more consistent basis, the only place I could see Harvick consistently winning is at a super speedway. Number five on the list and rounding out the top five, I'm going to give it to Austin Dillon. And the main reason I'm putting Austin Dillon on this list, despite the fact that he's getting destroyed by his teammate this year in terms of lap sled and just overall winning contention, there's one thing that I could say about Austin Dillon. And pardon my language when I say this, but Austin Dillon, in my opinion, is the definition, maybe besides Justin Haley, but he is the definition in terms of Cup Series veterans of drivers who can pull a win out of his ass. You saw him do that in the 2017 Coca-Cola 600. Granted, it was fuel mileage, but he had barely had enough fuel to make it. 2018 Daytona 500. He was up in contention and just straight up flat out wrecked Eric Amarola for the win. And even 2020 at Texas, when no one thought he was even going to be in contention to win, tire strategy, he comes out and wins. Austin Dillon is that driver where he goes out and he wins a race and he just don't see it coming. In fact, I think people would be would be less... I think people view a Daniel Suarez win more realistic than an Austin Dillon win. That's what I'm trying to get at here. So Austin Dillon, he could pull a win out of his ass if he really wants to, is what I'm trying to say. Now, what are places I could see Austin Dillon winning at? Again... Because of the nature of how he wins and because he doesn't go out and dominate, let alone even lead, a, lead laps in general, the only place I could see him winning, similar to the predecessor, Kevin Harvick, is at a super speedway. It's funny, predecessor both in Dakari drives and in, you know, who I was talking about previously. But anyways, Austin Dillon, I can only see him winning at a super speedway. Number six on the list, I'm going to give it to Bubba Wallace. Now, the reason I'm putting Bubba Wallace on this list is he... Number one, he's one of the best super speedway racers in the garage. Top five, you can argue even top three super speedway racer in the garage. That is how good Bubba Wallace is at these plate tracks. And because we have Atlanta and Daytona next, he has two great shots of making his way into the playoffs off a win. Another reason is he does have top five speed when it comes to intermediate tracks. We saw that at Kansas. We saw that at Charlotte. We saw that at multiple races so far this year. Now, if the pit crew can keep intact, which... Him and Christopher Bell did switch pit crew, so we'll see how that helps Bubba Wallace or potentially even harms him. But he does have the speed at certain types of tracks to get the job done. Now, what are some places I could see him winning at? Similar to Austin Dillon and Kevin Harvick, it's a super speedway. Unlike Austin Dillon and Kevin Harvick, where I feel like they can win, a, I'm putting them at super speedways just because of the nature of super speedway racing. I am confident that Bubba Wallace can win a super speedway race because he runs great at these tracks. Unlike Austin Dillon and Kevin Harvick, where, you know, they might win just if cards fall the right way to them, Bubba Wallace can go out and earn a super speedway win, meaning I think he can win both stages and dominate the race in order to win. That's how good of a super speedway racer Bubba Wallace is. And he's number six on my list. 
Number seven, I'm going to give it to Brad Keselowski. And I'm going to be honest, I was re very reluctant to put Brad Keselowski on this list. Why would I be reluctant to put the 2012 Cup Series champion with 30-plus career wins and a future Hall of Famer? Because Brad Keselowski, just to put it lightly, has been terrible this year. There is no other way to put how bad Brad Keselowski has been. I saw a stat out there where I believe in his last six or seven races, he has a 23rd place average finish. Even after he's got the penalty, he can't even, he can't even get ahead of Todd Gillen and Harrison Burton, two rookies who arguably shouldn't even be in the Cup Series currently. Brad Kozlowski is still struggling to overpass them in the point standings. However, because he's a Cup Series champion, because he's good on super speedways, and because he knows how to get the job done, I have to put him on this list, even just by default. Just because it's Brad Keselowski for crying out loud. Now, what are some places I could see him winning at? Again, just like the other three, it has to be at a super speedway. If it's not a super speedway, then I don't even think Brad Keselowski even has a shot of winning. Brad Keselowski, number seven on my list. And the final driver I'm going to put on my list is, is another driver I was very reluctant to put. I was originally going to have seven drivers, but after some thought, I decided to put him on the list anyway and expand it to eight. And that's Eric Amarola. And Amarola has shown next to no speed in the past two years whatsoever. However, the only reason I put Eric Amarola on this list is because he won New Hampshire. And we still have New Hampshire coming up, I believe, either next week or in two weeks from now. So just because he went out and won New Hampshire, especially considering he was worse last year than he is this year, by default, I have to put Eric Amarola on this list. So what are some places I can see him winning at? Super Speedway, obviously, like pretty much everyone else on this list. And New Hampshire, because he did win there last year. So by default, I have to give him a shot to win New Hampshire again this year. So those are the eight drivers I can realistically see win a race this year before the playoffs begin. I wouldn't be surprised if all eight of these drivers win this year, though, before the playoffs start, though very unlikely. However, do I see us getting 16 winners? Yeah. I'm having trouble thinking that we do. I can see us getting to 15 because I think Blaney and Truex are due. However, Bell hasn't shown consistent winning speed, neither has Harvick. Austin Dillon, while he can pull a win out of nowhere, I don't see it happening. Bubba Wallace, yeah, he's very good at the super speedways, but can he really get it done to get career win number two? Brad Kozlowski, he's a Cup Series champion, but again, next to no speed whatsoever. He's lucky to run top 20 most weeks. And Eric Amarola, he has to pull another rabbit out of the hat like he did last year. If that happens, then I think we can get over 16 winners. But where do I think the limit is going to be? I think our limit is going to be at 15 winners with someone like Blaney and Truex getting into victory lane. All right, now let's talk about something a little more with a gray area. And that is, what do you consider in racing going too far? And I originally was going to talk about this from a NASCAR perspective, but really I want to talk about it from motorsports as a whole. Because you really can't talk about it from a NASCAR perspective without mentioning other forms of motorsports. Now, what do I mean? Obviously, we know what Noah Gregson did, you know, after Road America. And I gave my piece on it. My opinions have changed a little bit, I would say, hearing from different sources, you know, such as different spotters from different podcasts and stuff like that. But anyways, that's not the point of this discussion. Gregson, at the end of the day, he said he was retaliating against Sage Karam because Sage Karam kept roughing him around, yada, yada, yada. 
What do we consider going too far when it comes to either aggressive racing or retaliation? Because it's different, not just for every series, but also for every driver. I mean, going too far in terms of NASCAR is completely different from even, even sniffing going too far in Formula 1. And you do have to take that into account because, and let's use Formula 1 as an example. In Formula 1, if you even spin a guy out, even if it's not even intentional, you're going to get a penalty no matter what. If you spin a guy out, like look at Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen at Silverstone last year. Did Hamilton intend to wreck Verstappen, send him into the fence? No, not at all. I don't think that even crossed the mind of Lewis Hamilton. You know, he was just being desperate and aggressive. However, because of what he did, he received the 10-second penalty. That didn't help. That didn't harm him because he ended up winning the race anyway. But compared to NASCAR, where you got Noah Gregson, and he completely wrecked Sage Karam himself and the rest of the field, and he did get penalized later on in the week, but in terms of that day during the race, he didn't get any penalty whatsoever. And in fact, I believe he did end up receiving a top 10 finish out of that. So, what... Why is it so different, before we come up with our conclusions, why is it so different between each series? Well, obviously the big one is just the nature of the vehicles are driving themselves. Whereas a NASCAR, you got a lot slower speeds, and you got these cars, are big heavy cars that have fenders, so you can't afford to beat and bang. They are objectively more safer than they are in a Formula 1 car, where you're going upwards of 190, 200 plus miles an hour consistently, even in some corners, and because you have open fenders and the cars are a lot lighter, they're more susceptible to getting damage and in return more susceptible to getting to risking injury because these are also open cockpit cars. Yeah, you have the Halo, which is a massive safety feature, arguably the biggest safety feature in motorsports history, you can argue that. But at the end of the day, it is still way more dangerous to drive in a Formula One car or an Indy car than it is to drive in a NASCAR despite the halo and the arrow screen for those two previous series I just mentioned. So, with that in mind, that's not saying that you can't get injured in NASCAR. While we haven't had any deaths since 2001, we still had a litany of injuries. Just to name some in the past six years, Dale Hart Jr., Eric Amarola, if I want to increase that to seven years, Kyle Busch, multiple drivers have gotten injured, you know, even as of late, because of these, of these incidents. And especially if we go to the Cup Series, or the next-gen car, it feels like a cup, some certain impacts feel harder than they have in the previous-gen car. There is an increased risk of injury now, potentially, than with the Gen 6 car previously. So, with all that in mind, we have to ask ourselves, what is going too far in retaliation? Is, you know, because in my opinion, going too, there's a couple reasons to go too far in, retali in retaliation. Number one is what Noah Gregson did. Completely turning the guy in on a high speed straightaway. There's a couple reasons for that. Number one, you do not turn a guy in a high speed straightaway. It's like you're turning a guy intentionally at a super speedway because you're probably going upwards of 150, 160 miles an hour. And if that guy hits the wall, it is going to look very bad. Despite if they walk away or not, it does not look good. And they probably will get the wind knocked out of them. Yeah, I think it was Brandon Brown. He got the wind knocked out of him. So he sustained some sort of injury in that crash he was involved in caused by Noah Gregson. And that's what happens when you turn a guy in front of a straightaway when you're going 150, 60 plus miles an hour. You just can't do that in my opinion. But I talked about that in Tuesday's episode when I was talking about Noah Gregson. 
Number two is obviously also, like I previously mentioned, at a super speedway. I don't think you should be cause, intentionally causing wrecks at all at a super speedway. Yes, you could, like, the people who say that Austin Dillon just did what Dale Earnhardt would do to win the Daytona 500. Listen, when Dale Earnhardt Jr., when Dale Earnhardt Sr. knocked guys out of the way, he wasn't knocking them out of the way going 200 plus miles an hour at Daytona and Talladega. In fact, in all of Dale Earnhardt's bump and run highlights or wrecking highlights, they're either coming at mile and a half when they're still going probably less than 120 something miles an hour and the guy still has a chance to save his car, or they're coming at short tracks where they're going less than 100 miles an hour into the corners. So that's different, completely different from what Austin Dillon did at the 2018 Daytona 500 where he wrecked Eric Amarola, made Eric Amarola go head onto the wall at 200 miles an hour. Let me just say this. If we didn't have the safety features we had today, Eric Amarola, there's a good chance he probably would not be racing today had we had those speeds but not the safety features. So those are some instances where I believe it is going too far on the NASCAR side of things. Number three is wrecking a guy at full speed under a caution. Why is that? Because when you have caution, everyone, the speed reduces drastically. So, if you want to spin a guy out under caution, I understand that. But you have to go at caution speed. If Let's say the caution speed is 70 miles an hour, and you spin the guy out going 70 miles an hour. That's fine. We'll probably get over it, maybe fight you on pit road, but at the end of the day, no harm, no foul. However, if you do what Kyle Busch did at 2011 in Texas, or you do what I believe it was Johnny Sauter did at Iowa, I believe it was in 2019, where you wrecked the guy at full speed as if the green flag was out, that is a problem. Because not only do you risk injury to that person that you're wrecking because their speed is way slower, or you risk injury to potentially someone else in the field because let's say that driver is close to another driver and because they're both going equally as slow, that other driver can get caught up into it. And don't think that 70 and 60 miles an hour is not at speed that does not warrant injury. Because that will happen. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a personal story, even though there's completely different circumstances. A couple years ago, I was racing on my local indoor karting track, K1 Speed, down by uh, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood. And I was in one of their, you know, monthly league races. And I was running top, and I got spun out. I was running, and then I was working my way up to try to get back inside the top five. I was running, I believe, six or seven. As I'm hitting the brakes to go into a braking corner, a guy behind me did not hit his brakes in the slightest. And because of that, we're going probably 60 miles an hour. So we're going not even pace car speed, might I add, for the Cup Series. But even then, because of that, my head still whiplash and I had a concussion for about a week. I know your local karting track is completely different from the Cup Series stock cars. But what I'm trying to say is slower speeds at the end of the day does not mean that it's going to be any less safe. I mean, just look at all the accidents on the road, and these guys aren't even going 100 miles an hour, might I add, for most of these accidents, might I say. I mean, you could still get in a big accident by going only 10 miles an hour on the road. So those, in my opinion, are the three big things when it comes to going too far. When you wreck a guy on a straightaway going over 150 miles an hour, because that's when you're hitting the throttle all the way you're hitting the gas all the way to the floor when you try wrecking a guy under caution at full speed and when you wreck a guy at a super speed where you're going 200 miles an hour. That, in my opinion, is going too far. So, Noah Gregson, in my opinion, he went too far. Was retaliation warranted? Maybe, maybe not. We've been heard, hearing conflicting reports on what Sage Karen did versus what Noah Gregson did, whatever. 
However, like I said in the previous episode, if Gregson done it on a straightaway or an out straightaway in one of the breaking corners, I'd say it's fair game because you're slowing down, you spin the guy out, you end his day, but you're not causing really any injury. Once you spin a guy out on a straightaway going 160, 170 miles an hour, that's when you get injury risk, especially when it's in front of a massive field and you're not even that far away from the rest of the pack. So, what is that line in terms of going too far, in terms of wrecking a guy, more specifically in NASCAR? It's those three I mentioned. Wrecking a guy in front of, on a straightaway, really anywhere, road course or oval, wrecking a guy under caution at full speed, and wrecking a guy at a super speedway. Now, let's end off this episode with my favorite segment of the week, Best Bets of the Week. If you guys don't know how this works, what I do is I go on different betting websites or sportsbooks. Nine times out of ten, I'm going on DraftKings Sportsbook. Same thing with, like, for example, all these races are provided by DraftKings Sportsbook. They're betting odds. I go through each betting line. I don't necessarily pick who I think is going to win the race, but I think that's the best shot at winning the race who can give you the most bang for your buck. So, for example, if I pick Joey Logano to win in Atlanta this week, in terms, pick Joey Logano as my best bet, my favorite bet to place, that doesn't mean I think he's going to win the race necessarily. So, with that being said, we got four races today. We got the Austrian Grand Prix for Formula One. We got the doubleheader in Atlanta with the Cup and Xfinity Series for NASCAR. And we got the Truck Series going to Mid-Ohio. So, with that, let's jump straight into it. And let's begin with the Austrian Grand Prix where Max Verstappen is currently the favorite at minus 120. And my favorite pick to place, my favorite bet to place for this race is Max Verstappen, the favorite at minus 120. Why am I picking Max Verstappen at minus 120? Well, for two reasons. Number one, if you know my rule, if a driver is projected to win and he's in the negatives, you take that nine times out of ten. That's basically saying he's guaranteed to win the race. Another reason is Max Verstappen, he has made the Austrian Grand Prix, the Red Bull Ring, his playground. He won, he swept the doubleheader last year, even though it wasn't a true doubleheader, but you know what I mean. And I think he won one of the Austrian Grand Prix races last year. So he has, I believe, three or four wins at the Red Bull Ring. This is arguably Max Verstappen's best track. So I see no reason why he shouldn't win the Austrian Grand Prix. He probably would be my pick to win the race, but he is my pick in terms of my best bet favorite for this race. My least favorite bet to place is going to be his teammate with the fourth best odds, Sergio Perez at plus one at plus 1,100. Why am I picking Sergio Perez? Because Max Verstappen is so untouchable at the Red Bull ring, I can't see anybody beating him, including his teammate. And with that being said, like I think Sergio could be close, but because I don't even think he's going to be anywhere close to his teammate, he's my least favorite bet to place for this weekend. With the fourth best odds at plus 1100. My out of the box pick, and I think this is the first time he's appeared on the out of the box portion of this, of this series, of this um, segment. He's been on the least, my least favorite picks for a little bit, but now he's finally got himself promoted out of that into the out of the box segment. And that is Lewis Hamilton with the fifth best odds at plus 1200. And why am I picking Lewis Hamilton? Last week at Silverstone was really the first time all season that Mercedes, you could say a Mercedes car could have won the race. Now, George Russell, if he didn't get in that lap one incident, who knows what he could have done. But Lewis Hamilton, till the very end, he was in contention to win that race. 
And you know, once Lewis, you give Lewis Hamilton the taste of victory, he's going to make hammer time go on until the checkered flag drops. So, if cards fall the right way, I'm going to trust the seven-time champion to get the job done. So, Lewis Hamilton, he's my out-of-the-box pick for the Austrian Grand Prix. Moving on, let's go to the Cup Series race in Atlanta, where Ross Chastain, I believe this is the first time he's ever been a betting favorite at plus 1,000. However, he is not my betting favorite. My betting favorite is this driver with the ninth best odds at plus 1,200, and that is Mr. Bubba Wallace. I talked about it in our first segment about how good Bubba Wallace is at the super speedways. So, you saw he could have won the race in Atlanta earlier in the year had he not got turned. So, because of that, the ninth best odds at plus 12,000, that is my favorite bet to place Bubba Wallace. My least favorite bet is a driver who is tied with Bubba Wallace at plus 1,200, but is at the 10th best odds. And that is Kyle Larson with the 10th best odds, like I just previously mentioned. Kyle Larson and Super Speedways, they don't go together in any way, shape, or form. I believe he ran well the Daytona 500 or Talladega, one of those two. However, it's Kyle Larson that is Super Speedway. I can't trust it in any way, shape, or form. So because of that, he's my least favorite bet to place. My out-of-the-box pick is going to go to the driver with the 12th best odds at plus 2,000. That is Mark Truex Jr. Let me just say this. If you would have asked me in 2018... Where would I see Trucks winning at more likely? Again, just assuming before the season started. A road course or a super speedway? I would say a road course 10 times out of 10. However, this year, Trucks has run better at, at super speedways than he's run at road courses. He won both stages of the Daytona 500 this year. I believe he ran up front at Talladega and Atlanta. So he's up front at the super speedways. So because of that, the 12th best odds plus 2,000, I'm giving my out-of-the-box pick to Martin Truex Jr. Moving on to the Xfinity Series race in Atlanta, where A.J. Allmendinger is the favorite at plus 600. However, he's not my favorite for this race. My favorite is going to the driver with the fourth best odds at plus 700, and that is Tyler Reddick. Reddick is always up front of the super speedways when it comes to the Xfinity Series. Not even just counting his 2019 win at Talladega, his first win of the season that year in route to his second championship in a row. But Reddick... He already got a win this year, not just in the Cup Series, but in the Xfinity Series with the same number 48 team he'll be driving for. Because of that, Tyler Reddick with the fourth best odds at plus 700, he's my favorite bet to place. My least favorite bet is going to go to the driver with the eighth best odds at plus 1200, and that is Sam Mayer. In our previous edition of this race in Atlanta earlier in the season, Sam Mayer finished 21st. Eighth best odds at plus 1200 for a driver who finished 21st and really has no super speedway experience. I can't give it to him. So my least favorite bet is going to go to Sam Mayer. But who is my favorite out-of-the-box pick out of everyone on this list? And I thought about it, and even I was reluctant to pick this driver, but considering the machinery he's in and considering that the same team won a super speedway race earlier in the year, I'm going to give my out-of-the-box pick to the driver with the 14th best odds at plus 2,000, and that's going to go to Sheldon Creed. Listen, I know he's not had a good year in the Xfinity Series in any way, shape, or form. However, Austin Hill won the season opener at a super speedway at Daytona. He's in an RCR car. Super speedway racing, anything can happen. He's in a car that's capable of winning a super speedway race on merit. If cards fall the right way, I think Sheldon Creed has a great shot at landing in victory lane at Atlanta on Saturday. Now, final race we're going to talk about is the Truck Series race at Mid-Ohio, where John Hunter Nemechek, or as I like to call him, Front Row Joe Jr., is currently the favorite at plus 400. My favorite is going to go to the driver with the third best odds at plus 700, and that is Carson Hosevon. He's been so close so many times to winning a race this year. He sat on the pole 
even though he wrecked himself at Sonoma. But he was sat on the pole and even was contending for the win with injuries to his foot. So with that being said, that alone gives me enough confidence to place a bet on Carson Hosevar, despite the fact that he's still winless in the truck series. Third best bet, plus 700. He's my favorite bet to place for this race. My least favorite bet is going to go to Ty Majeski with the fifth best odds at plus 1,000. And my reason is I have not seen winning speed out of Ty Majeski yet this season. I've not seen him in position. I have not seen him have the capability speed-wise to win a race this year. So because of that, I cannot put my faith in Ty Majeski. Fifth best odds at plus 1,000 is my least favorite bet. And my out-of-the-box pick, which is probably going to be my out-of-the-box pick of the week, is a driver with the 15th best odds at plus 4,000, and that is Kaz Grawa. I'm not sure what kind of truck Kaz Grawa is going to be driving. However, he's always up front at the road courses. He could have won Canada in 2017 at Austin Sindrick, not punted him. He finished 7th at the Daytona road course in his first Cup Series start. So, he's a very good road course racer. So, keeping that in mind, I like Kaz Grawa as an out-of-the-box pick with the 15th best odds at plus 4,000. And that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this edition of the Motorsport Ministry. If you guys want to listen to all previous episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, just search us up on Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. You can find all previous 63 episodes. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Motorsport Ministry, and we will see you next time.